the worst mistake we ever made. We identified a guy who had experience, and we kind of knew from day one that he wasn't quite the cultural fit. Well, I mean, within the first day, he was upsetting people. And uh, <laughs> because we kind of knew already that, oh, well, we know that person's going to be a bit of a maverick. So then you kind of let it go for a while. Just massive mistake, huge disruption for the few months he was with us. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm joined today by Neil Dickens. Neil is the co-founder of Intellectual Capital Resources. Founded in 1999, IC Resources is now over 70 people with seven offices across UK, USA, Germany, Austria, and China. They've made over 12,000 placements, and they're the preeminent deep tech recruiter in the UK and Europe, covering software, semiconductor, electronics, engineering, and creative digital arenas. Neil also makes early stage investments through his investment company, Anorak. He performs in theater. He has a weekly poker club and plays basketball. I don't know how you fit all that in, Neil, but welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I fit it in by uh, delegating, I suppose, to a certain extent and staying busy. I'm interested to learn more about that. Look, there's so many questions I want to ask you, but could you start just by sharing the story of how you ended up in the UK and how you got into recruiting? Yeah, two very different avenues in a way. I ended up in the UK through Shakespeare, love of Shakespeare. Fell in love with theater when I was at, uh, I mean, I'd already done some theater and I saw Henry V with my family when I was probably about 14. Uh, so I suppose that's what really made me fall in love with Shakespeare. But, uh, but at university, I started in business administration, commerce, they call it in Canada, but fell in love with uh, theater through doing theater. And I recognized that uh, commerce was not necessarily the most intellectually challenging pursuit. Uh, it was useful, I think, but I went to university to I suppose, broaden my horizons. As I say, fell in love with theater. I ran a couple of businesses while at university. Uh, so I think I learned more there than I, I would have from a commerce degree and ended up getting a drama and psychology degree from McMaster University. But uh, but then my father passed away in, during my penultimate year at university. And so I was kind of at a crossroads. And a professor had said to me at a cast party one night after a show, well, Dickens, you know, if you really want to go for this acting lock, you must go to London. You know. <laughs> so yeah, so I auditioned for Lambda, which is one of the primary drama schools in London and uh, got in. So came over here. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was good. It was, uh, yeah, well, anyway, it was lovely. But I suppose the, the thing about theatre is that it's a struggle to, to do it professionally. So, so I'm actually really pleased that uh, things went the way they, they went. So yeah, met my wife uh, while I was here and just felt that, you know, she had a really good job um, in PR. Um, I was sort of faffing around trying to act and, and doing um, temping in a couple of different places. And um, so I just fell into recruitment locally uh, in West London in Ealing. And the person who hired me after six months started his own company and asked me to join him. So I did that. That was Orion Electrotech, which is now, I think, just called Orion. And that's um, 30, 35 million turnover company now. I guess uh, 18 months later, I moved on to do my own thing. I was commuting to Reading. Commute was quite intense, and I, I knew I could do better in London somehow. And I had an idea for uh, a company that I could start. But in the meantime, a few months later, somebody that I'd, I'd run into was doing semiconductor recruitment. Semiconductors was just on the precipice of booming. So that seemed like a good place to go. So that's how we started. Amazing. It's funny talking to you, Neil, because I, you sound like me as a fellow Canadian transplanted to the UK with a sort of hybridized accent. 
Yes, I know people will hear us chatting away thinking we're in Boston or something. <laughs> maybe, yeah, so. maybe. Yeah. And also your your wife is English. I married a yeah. Scottish lady, so a similar story. I got ensnared in the thorns of an English rose because she's from Lancashire. I don't know, you fell into a, a thistle bush and never got exactly. out again. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. Scottish yeah. thistle. They're both yeah. roses and thistles are pretty spiky though, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> never escape. But listen, uh, the reason that I reached out to you, by the way, is I came across IC resources listed in Recruiter Magazine. You're in their Hot 100 list. So essentially out of the 30 or 40,000 recruitment companies in the UK, you guys are in the top 100 in terms of billings per employee. In fact, you're number 33. Mm. And I believe you've had 86 straight profitable quarters, which is quite incredible, especially considering the roller coaster that we've all been on. What do you attribute that success to if you had to boil it down? I know there's a lot that goes into building a successful company and you've been at this for like 20 years or so now. But if you look at the 80-20 principle, what would you say are the top 20% keys to success? Yeah, I think it's just long-term commitment. So we started the company, uh, my business partner and I started the company, both had the same concept. We looked at recruiters, even the companies we'd been in. And actually, the first company I'd been in, the second one, Orion Electrotech, was very good, actually. That's why I joined the person who started it, and I think we created a culture together. Um, but taking the long-term view in terms of both your relationship with customers and perhaps, well, not more importantly, but equally importantly, being part of the business community or the industry that you find yourself in. Yeah, so, you know, we, we said as soon as we were profitable, which was well, we, we were profitable in the first quarter. So from, from the first quarter we ever started, we've been profitable, which touch, touch wood. The, the one quarter was probably our fifth or sixth was when the dot-com bubble burst, right? I'll give you an example. One of our clients was Nortel. So Nortel went from uh, $100 a share to, I think, $0.92 cents a share in two days, I think. You know, don't quote me on that, but it was wow. something like that. So, you know, when you have those kind of clients, any clients at that time, I mean, everybody suffered. But yes. we had one client that was um, a startup that had already had its uh, A round. So we made, I think we made 13 placements in the quarter after the dot-com bubble bursting, and 12 of them were with one company. So we got through. We, we, we had a profitable quarter because of that one company. Good. So, oh, oh so, so did they, they continued and they paid you? Yeah, they had their funding. Good. They had their oh, funding. So we, yeah, yeah. So, I had uh, a dot-com client in 2000 and I'd made five placements with them and it was going to make my quarter, like it was going to be one of my best ever quarters. Mm. And then they didn't get their next round of funding and they went bust and they never paid us. Oh, they didn't so, pay the, oh, ouch. No. Okay, yeah, yeah, so that yeah, was sure. a pay, that was not fun. But in any case. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, it's taking the long term. As soon as we had the opportunity, any, you know, sort of spare cash, we were sponsoring events, sponsoring awards, going to exhibitions, et cetera, et cetera. You know, very early on, we had a call from a client who had sent three CVs too. And he called me up and he said, oh, Neil, man, he goes, you're, you're too efficient. I said, what do you mean? He says, one of these guys, I sort of know of him. I had him on a list to call this weekend. I'm just too busy at the moment to call anybody. And I was going to call him on the weekend. I said, well, look, don't worry about it. You know, um, our business is adding value to your business. It's not, you know, fortunately sending you a CV a day before you were going to call somebody. So that, you know, we worked with him for 10, 12 years after that. So wow. That, and I think that's, um, yeah, in, in, you know, uh, in our industry, once you 
work with people, you just go through with them, right? One startup to the next, to the next. So I think that's a long answer to a short answer, which is take the long-term view. Fantastic. Well, that's a great <laughs> example of taking the long-term view. Like you were willing to sacrifice a potential fee in the first engagement from a candidate that told you was going to reach out to them, whether that's yeah. true or not. Some recruiters would say, well, that's just the client trying to scam you. But you took the view, no, it's fair enough. We won't try an invoice for that placement. And you end up doing business for 10 or 12 years. Yeah. Do you have any other examples of what you mean by taking the long-term view? Because I did read that on your website that you you know, issue the short-term and favor of focus on the long-term relationship uh, is obviously one of your core driving principles. How else does that play out? You can't make decisions for other people, which is the great thing about our business, right? We're not making the final decision. But after you get a certain amount of experience, you can start to sense, suspect, realize that things aren't necessarily the right fit. Uh, Obviously, you, you start to learn that. And making sure that a client and a candidate are aware of the what you perceive to be the reality of the situation. Right. So at least they're going in with their eyes open mm-hmm. uh, rather than I mean, well, this is this comes kind of comes down to another point, which which you you asked, what was the biggest challenge in your career? You know, and I said, letting go was my answer. We can talk about that later, I suppose. But here's an example of letting go. It may well be that people in my comp, you know, in IC resources over the years have written emails to people saying, oh, I have a brilliant candidate for you. or I have an excellent candidate. I have never said that in any email ever, I think probably, um, (laughs) because it's not my final decision, right? I mean, show, don't tell, Uh, you know, explain why you think this person is, but saying, oh, I have an excellent, I have this great person for you. You know, it's, I don't know. So if you, if you start with that mentality, then when you say to a candidate, oh, listen, you know, you've got these three opportunities, Given what I know about these three companies, I think, you know, route A is the best route for you. Now, here's an example of taking the long-term view. Route A may be on 16%. Route B might be on 26%, right? We all know that we have different rates with different clients, but you've got to go with route A. If you, in your heart, you, you know that that's potentially right for the candidate, you cannot make decisions based on fee. You know, not only can you not do that in the long term, you can't do that in the short term because people know within seconds, in my opinion, whether you're doing something that's in their best interest or doing something in your best interest. There's just a knowledge. doesn't mm. matter. You know? The funny thing about recruitment is that people can know that. And even if you don't have, like what I would say, quite a lot of recruiters don't operate on that principle. And the people they're dealing with know that. But obviously, if they're still offering them a job, they're still going to take the job. So you can actually have a, a profitable recruitment company where you don't operate with people's best long-term views in mind necessarily. But I don't think you can have a recruitment company that lasts 30 years in the same industry that doesn't take people's long-term view in mind. So, uh, and that's our goal. Uh, You know, we've been around 21 years and uh, in some form or another, we hope to be around for another 21 years, you know? Awesome. Yeah. So I love that as one of your core principles that you, you operate by and Commercially, the benefit of that is long relationships with clients, right? That is the, there's an altruistic intention, but there is a commercial benefit to it, which is you've got these long, long relationships. And the second thing was being part of the business community. So you've really immersed yourself, embedded yourself in those 
ecosystems, attending the events, sponsoring the events, the awards, yeah. going to exhibitions. Do you have any other examples of how you've really become part of the fabric of that particular industry? More recently, it's doing things, just making connections. So I'm fortunate that we have a big enough team now and a management team that I would view pretty much everything that I do as A, non-revenue generating and B, just contributing to greasing the wheels. It sounds like the wrong word, but yeah, yeah greasing, greasing the, you know, um, helping the cogs of the industry fit together. So just making introductions all the time. And that's fed into the early stage investing where so I'm investing in companies, but I'm also making introductions to companies that I'm invest in or even if I don't invest in them, you know, connecting VCs to startups, et cetera, et cetera, just to do your your little bit to improve the uh, system. In fact, one of the things I'm most proud of is doing a research that got certain skills on the skill shortage list a number of years ago. So I, I ran a research campaign to demonstrate that certain skills in our sector were very much in short supply. And so so that made literally hundreds of placements for us and, and everybody else much easier for the next i mean that was eight years ago and those skills you know were, were still there so you did some research to demonstrate the skill shortage that then got that skill added to the uk i can't remember the body that looks at this but the- yeah yeah the skills it's it's the mac it's the migration advisory committee okay so they put and it was very late because i was asked by what is now TechWorks, which is the industry body to uh, I've been moaning about visas for years. So they knew, you know, at every event we went to, I would stand up and they go, guys, you know, we've got to sort out the visa situation. So they asked me to be the representative for the industry on the Migration Advisory Committee. So I went to my first meeting and they said, uh, you know, this <laughs> this uh, in data gathering process ends next week. <laughs> I sort of, so I kind of put my hand up and I said, well, can you at least give me two weeks? They said, yeah, that's fine. So, but you know, they want evidence. You can't just say, oh, you know, semiconductors as well. And this is, you know, so, so we went out and we, with TechWorks, uh, I wrote the, uh, the questionnaire and, and, you know, I created the, the sort of research and then we um, disseminated that to our network and TechWorks network. And so then, and then we got a large amount of data back in terms of where the biggest skill shortages were. So that we then submitted that to the Mac, and then those uh, amazing. What was yeah. the skill? Well, there were three or four, but it was okay. It was really all around semiconductors. I mean, okay. uh, I, uh, semiconductor test and design, so analog and digital. Unfortunately, it wasn't blanket embedded software, but but certain embedded software skills. Yeah. So, and so then that um, made it easier to bring candidates with those skills into the UK and put them to work for your clients. Well, any anybody, right? Not yeah. just, uh, you know anybody who was hiring semiconductor people, so. right? Yeah. Fantastic. So, uh, Amazing. Yeah. All right. That's cool. So that's an example of really being part of that community and trying to do work that benefits your business, but, but also the wider, you well, know, exactly, in that yeah. case, you know, semiconductor industry. Fantastic. And anything else that you guys have done recently to sort of become one of those, take that leadership role? Cause I, I really believe that if you want to have a great business, and not just be another recruiter, you need to step up and assume some leadership and not wait for someone to confer that leadership upon you, but just assume it and start doing things for your ecosystem that add value. Uh, What would be another one of those things that you guys have done or are doing? Well, I know that on the um, uh, creative side, 
user experience, web dev, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we, uh, so John Gould heads up that sort of division for us. And he has set up all kinds of hacker groups and user groups in the past. So he only joined us, I think, a year ago. So he's out of his, you know, he, he, set, up a, he set up a very, uh, I think, successful group. Uh, and then was not allowed to in his previous company. So then he wasn't allowed to do anything like that contractually until now. So he'll do that. But um, but I sit on the board of something called the UK ESF, which is the UK Electronic Skills Foundation. And that's beyond semiconductors. That's electronics, embedded software. And we, well, ultimately, the, the remit is to get more kids into STEM and into mm-hmm. You know, electronic semiconductors and embedded software specifically, and just study them because uh, if you look at mechanical, for example, you look at mechanical uh, engineering versus electronics engineering, the uh, the rate of mechanical engineering uh, university, you know, people entering universities has gone up, whereas electronics it stayed flat. And actually, the thesis that we have, the UKSF has a fantastic CEO called Stu Stu Edmondson, and, and his thesis is that um, mechan- there's it gets taught in maths in GCSE and A-level, you, you know, it's sort of part of the, the wider curriculum. And so, and in fact, I just had an example of this. Uh, a good friend of mine called me and he's, he's just graduating with a mechanical engineering degree. And he, and he said, I've, I've done the wrong degree. Uh, he said, I, I just did mechanical engineering because that's, that's what I thought engineering was. You know, he, he, he is a techie, but actually he, he should have done an electronics degree. He just didn't even know it existed. At the huh, time, so you know, right. you you almost, or you know, it exists, but it, it means nothing to you. What we've done, what I didn't, it wasn't my decision, but what the UKSF does, which is very smart to make money to, to generate some revenue, is we have a scholarship scheme for students who are already at university, and we link them with employers, so they then get sponsored by that employer while they're studying. They do a work placement at the employer. And the, the benefit to the employer is that hopefully they have a, a head start on hiring that person when they graduate. So the great sort of sales pitch for me when I'm telling companies about that is that I'm saying, look, <laughs> you can pay us, you know, when they graduate, you can pay us six, six, five or 6,000 pounds to hire them, or you can pay a lot less uh, if you get them on this way. So I'm sort of competing with myself in, in that way. So um, interesting. Yeah, but, but um, but yeah, no, the, so the UKSF is a, a great example. And in fact, people from other industries are now coming to Stu and going, hey, you know, how do we replicate that yeah. in our industry? You might remember back in episode 43, I talked to Plamen Ivanov, the executive chairman of iIntro. If you missed it, it's well worth going back into the archives and having a listen. One of the things we talked about was a way for recruiters to shift the conversation with prospects away from fees and make it all about value. iIntro has created a tool called the Bad Hire Calculator that you can show to your prospects that proves to them that your recruitment service will save them potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. When you can do that, the exact fees you charge almost become immaterial because you've proved that you will save the client the most money in the long run. If you'd like to add this tool to your arsenal, you'd be pleased to know that I've partnered with iIntro and they're offering a 25% discount to listeners of the Resilient Recruiter podcast. All you have to do to claim this discount is book a free consultation and mention my name or this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, follow the instructions and iIntro will take care of the rest. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. So you're really thinking big here, Neil, and and implementing real systemic level 
strategies to increase the technology skills within the, within the UK. That's yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's not me thinking, but it's just me being passionate about it and helping. Okay, you know, which so is also so I didn't create UKSF, right? I but now I'm on the board. Yeah, so you just and when I go to events, you know, I always sell. I, in fact, don't sell us. I sell the UKSF when I speak at events. Uh, and again, there's you know, I actually think. Do we do anything truly altruistically? There's, there's a philosophical debate. For I understand. We yes, a, we can have another time because <laughs> my view is by if I stand up at a, at, a, at a conference and I say, "Hey, you know, we're a great recruitment company. You should use." Is anybody listening? But if somebody hears me as a recruiter saying, "Guys, you know, you should save yourself money on recruitment by uh, buying into this the, scholarship uh, yeah. program," then all of a sudden they look at me as a recruiter in a very different light. So right. You know, so. Um, and that's exactly what you were talking about before about creating, right? Not not waiting, you know, yes. Going out, going out, and creating something for your industry, and, and, uh, and absolutely. Like yeah. So I'd like to take a, a conversation in a different direction here because one of the things you've achieved, which is unusual, is you've built a really strong business. It's not just you and a few people right mm. you've got 70 people in the in the business you've got seven offices talk to me about how you you do that because that's there's a lot of people who can be good recruitment consultants mm. but it's a whole different skill set to be able to build companies and i know that like even just from the point of view of your culture and performance management and kpis there's all these different aspects to it why do you think you guys have been so successful at doing that well, we've had almost no unwanted turnover. So we're 21 years old. We have a whole bunch of people who are hitting their or past their 15th anniversary. Wow. When I say a whole bunch, I mean, we didn't have that many, you know, we weren't that big, but yes. almost everybody we hired in those first five or six years. And okay, wanted to keep, you know, you've, you've got, yeah, anyway, you, you've got people who leave and you're not that disappointed. You've got people you need to ask to leave. And then you've got the people who, who leave and you're really disappointed. And um, we've never had anybody leave and go to a competitor of any kind wow. that, that we didn't want to, right? So the the one person who left a couple of years ago because they saw the the big numbers and the big salaries in their eyes called us three three weeks later and said, "I've made a big mistake. Can I come back?" And, and huh. we sort of said, "Yeah, sure." So <laughs> okay, um, yeah, no problem. Come um, on we've lost a guy, uh, somebody great um, this week. Because he's always wanted to be a teacher and he's going to go hmm. teach. So, you know, you can't, wow. you know, that's really, it's a real drag for us, but good luck to George. I would love to pick your brains on this, Neil, because I feel like one of the biggest problems in our industry is it's got such a high level of staff turnover and, and attrition. And it's like so many companies have a revolving door, which is bad reputationally it's bad from the customer continuity point of view it's bad in terms of employer branding point of view but it's also just hugely wasteful in terms of profitability like i can now start to see why you're the 33rd most productive per employee in the uk out of 30,000 recruiting companies because that longevity that tenure with your staff and having them grow and develop with you is you know massive in terms of your profit per employee yeah how have you created that level of staff retention um combination of culture and um and what i would say is lack of 
lack of greed on our part. Um, okay. If you want to call that. I mean, you know, we, if you look at our commission scheme, it's success driven. Okay? Mm-hmm. So by the time you get up to hitting your target, you're making 50% of your placements. Wow. You know, well, 45%, I suppose. And then, you yeah. know, and then we're paying the NI. So actually you're sort of in, in quotation marks costing the company more than half. So when they do well, like they can earn really well. The targets aren't easy, but they're also not these ridiculous, you know, you have to do 600 grand or what, you know, so, so we have reasonable, fair, achievable targets. Yeah. So that's one. So people don't often get tempted by other routes. And, and secondly, Maybe I shouldn't have said that first because actually money is not as important as day to day enjoyment, you know, satisfaction, sense of responsibility, sense of achievement, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the biggest thing is we do have KPIs. Um, mm-hmm. if you want to call it, I, 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 that's a term that I'm allergic to. Uh, we, we have ways of people measuring themselves, but, but yeah. they come up with those ways with their managers yeah. or with us, right? And they change. They change month to month. If you've just okay. had a phenomenal month uh, and you have no pipeline, then the things you need to do are very different than if you have nine offers to close down. Just, just right. you know, it just makes sense, right? So this concept of having, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that, it's just mad. Let, let me just try and get this clear. So you have KPIs, but they are agreed by the person with their, whoever they're reporting to, and they yeah. can change over time. So they're not just static. And not everybody has the same KPIs is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so you come up with your KPI for the month and your monthly yeah. review. Uh, and then every week, and so, you know, every week, everybody writes a report okay. of their week. Okay. And it includes a little table and whether they're green, you know, sort of green, yellow or red on their KPIs, right? Which I don't even look at. I, uh, you know, it, it sort of goes in one, you know, eye and out the other. I, I, well, I look at the, the anecdotal reports that everybody writes, right? Oh, I had, you know, this went well and this didn't go well. And you can learn so much more about how a person's doing and, and whether they need help somewhere that for, from that, you know, from sort of reading those reports and also reading between the lines of those reports, then, then you can from seeing red or yellow or green on a report, you know, but they go hand in hand. This is really um, interesting, Neil. What other kind of stuff is in that report? Like, is there a standard format that people fill no, in? No, no, that's or? just, well, it's, you know, it's obviously your interviews and, you know, placements, interviews, relationship development calls, business development calls, LinkedIn messages, you know, and as I say, we've got six or seven metrics. People know what they're aiming for. And then the rest is just had a great week, did this, mm-hmm. did that, this happened, that happened, that this was a drag. You know, so really happy with this, really frustrated with this. Next week, I'm going to focus on that, you know, so. And by the way, I I don't, going back to your original question, which was how do you get a bigger company? And going back to my thing about the challenge, what's the biggest challenge? And the challenge is letting go. You know, things are not going to be done exactly as you like them to be done. Mm -hmm. Always, right? And that's, in quotation marks, a bad thing if, if you're extremely good at something. It's also a good thing because... You're not the best at a hell of a lot of things. I'm not the best at a hell of a lot of things. You know, we yeah, have this likewise. person who is so much better at at really building, you know, sort of the distinction between business development and sales. So I go to conferences. Yeah. I meet lots of people. I think I'm pretty good at, at, at creating connections and, you know, but then actually, yeah, and then I follow up and, you know, and we often have business relationships or whatever. But anyway, this this one lady in our company is just, she's just a savant. <laughs> at, you know, at, at winning business, building relationships with people. Like, you know, she, she clients are inviting her 
you know, for drinks, she, she focuses on, on Germany and she, she, she gets, I don't know, I think every night she's invited to a different event. It's um, Oktoberfest, well, probably yeah. two. So, you know, she's invited by client. It's not her inviting clients, it's them inviting her. Wow. It's like, well, how do, you, cool. how do you achieve that, you know, as a, as a recruiter, you know? So anyway, so she's just genius at it. She's amazing. So, yeah, so the great, the great stuff that emerges when you actually let go you know, it's the hardest thing to do. And when I, you know, to, to sort of, to hope that every email is to a certain quality and hope that everything's at a certain quality, it isn't always going to be, but, but the, of, of course there's a basic standard, but then, yeah, the, the stuff that people bring, once you give them the responsibility and the freedom to bring it is uh, way, way better than anything, anything that you you ever came up with. So we've got a couple of open loops here. Neil, one is the staff retention piece, but this is, I guess, related, which is giving people that autonomy and letting go. What, what's involved in letting go? Like, is it a psychological process or is there a, an actual business process where it's graded stages of letting go or? combination of those well I don't, uh, yeah we, we certainly never made it a process i mean what, what i did find was the hardest period for me was when you're we're sufficiently big mm-hmm. that there was quite a lot of management to do and just you know worrying about the company worrying about the, the company itself and the people in the company yes and you're still trying to generate revenue yourself yes you know when you're 12 what size was people, that? yeah so 12 between about 12 15 kind of okay. people you know it's 12 to 20 i guess and then you just get to a point where you go, actually, okay, yes, I can still generate revenue if I have time or if something really excites me or if I know somebody who I know is going to be perfect for it. You know, I just made a, a COO placement a few weeks ago uh, just because speaking to the CEO uh, of a company I invested in a few years ago. So, um, mm-hmm. and then he just said, I need a COO. And I said, well, I know the perfect person, you know, so that was quick and easy, right? So, but yeah, when you take that sense of having to bill yep. off your shoulders, then that's mm-hmm. uh, that's great. <laughs> that feels really good. <laughs> In a way, that's an achie- you know uh, that's that's an achievement as a, somebody running a company, I suppose. Absolutely, um, I think it's probably required in order to get to the next level past twelve to twenty people. Yeah, um, because otherwise, you're going to bottleneck the growth. Exactly, you know, exactly. of the business. Yeah, yeah. So, and if, and if you hold on to, yeah, if you hold on too tight, like I say, to how you do things, or, mm-hmm. or to making sure that things are done in a certain way, or whatever, then that's where you're not going to be able to allow that growth to happen. So, you know, and the I, other thing is that we, we're very lucky. We 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 met someone who came in very ambitious, and he said, "Look, I want to grow your contract business, but once I've grown mm-hmm. your contract business, I want to be part of the management team." So, uh, we we said, "Great." So he's now um, a very significant shareholder. So it's, fantastic. Uh, so, how do you maintain the quality standards that you expect whilst giving people the freedom to do things in their own style? There's a bit of tension between those two things. You don't want anarchy where people are just mavericks and doing things their own way. You want to yeah. have the IC resources way of doing things to some extent in order to scale a business. So, how do you make sure that? Things are being done in the best quality way, but you're, you've delegated responsibility and you're not having to micromanage all that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you trust your managers to do that. So we've, okay. you know, we've got six divisions headed up by six people, you know, yeah, you, you trust them and they've all come up through the company. So they know the way yeah. we like to do things. So, so then they have their own stamp. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny how each, each division definitely 
takes some of its characteristics from its leader, right? In the same way a company does. Yeah. So I expect the sort of tone and nature of some of the messaging and emails that get sent out, for example, are, is, is different in each team. But ultimately, so long as they're at that level of quality that we expect the managers to understand and, and achieve. So. Neil, let me ask you this, because I, I was speaking with a business owner the other day, and I'm a huge proponent of organic growth and promoting from within because, yeah. A, it demonstrates that people have a c- career path and that this is the place to develop your career. You don't need to go yeah. anywhere else. And B, they are already embedded in your culture. They do things your way. They're not bringing ways of working that don't, you know, yeah. don't conform to how you like to work and so on. But that takes time. And so I was speaking to this leader and he was saying, yeah, I think we're going to hire a manager to bring them in and do this, that or the other. And I said, you need, you want to be careful with that because I've seen that backfire so many times yeah. where you bring in someone who's been successful within another business to manage your team, but you know, they don't have, potentially they don't have the sector experience, for example, because uh, yeah. they're not from a direct competitor, they're from another industry, let's say. And so if they're going to be in a position where th- their team actually knows more than them in many areas and um, they've got a different culture and so on. And that can just, you could lose a whole bunch of people who you didn't want to lose because yeah. they, they don't respond to this manager. And their answer was, yeah, I can see that. But the problem is there's no one who's ready to step up. So and my view is I think you just need to, A, give it a little longer. And your responsibility is developing those people so that someone yeah, exactly. is able to step up. But what's what's your view on on this problem? Because it's there is a sort of, in the early stages of the business, you know, how do you create those future leaders and make sure that you do have, like you're in a situation now, you've got these six really strong leaders. How did you get to that point? There's no right or wrong answer to that, but I certainly agree that that the the general uh, psychological desire is to imp- to implant someone. And that, that tendency is is certainly one to be suspicious of. You know, it's a, it's a bias, I think. It's a bias through... I think you've just described it as a perception of lack of effort required, right? Which is always dangerous, mm. <laughs> you know? So, um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, what's wrong with allowing those people that they're, they're, if they're experienced enough to do the job, even if, you know, is there, is there a way around having a, a, a quotation marks, a manager? Yeah. What about an experienced person coming in alongside those people mm-hmm. and just doing the job? Which is what actually, to be honest, that is a, a tactic strategy, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that, that we, we've used and talked about a lot is that mm-hmm. you don't hire a manager. You hire an experienced person to sit on that desk. And this is what's great about our industry. But I think any industry, to be honest, to focus on uh, an area. And that's, that's one of the, to me, one of the keys to our success is that anyone who comes in, even a, just literally a, a, a resourcer, we don't have resort. We, we we hire resources, but we don't have a resource or job function. They come in; they're just resourcing people. But even within the first, you know, I mean, before they start, there we have some kind of path in mind for them that they can then mm. become a uh, uh, they can become a recruiter. They can own some part, some segment of some market. So if you can create that sort of structure, then you can have people acting reasonably independently. And if they're not experienced mm-hmm. enough to really, yeah, if they need a manager or they need some kind of leadership, then a team leader coming in, in an adjacent area or in, in, a, in a similar technology world, showing them how to do it by being 
phenomenal recruiters. You know, mm-hmm. anyone with, uh, you know, half a brain will be asking that person how they do it, not having to be told. And, mm. Oh, hang on. You know, they'll be hearing phone calls and going, right. oh, man, if I'd said, you know, yeah, that makes sense. If I'd said that to my client, then, you know, that is how we have. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example of, of actually having done that, but we've certainly talked about having done that. But uh, and that person I mentioned before, who's phenomenal yeah. at, at building relationships, she wasn't actually in recruitment. I met her because I was introduced to her to give her career advice. Mm-hmm. And within five minutes of meeting her, I said, man, you should be doing recruitment. <laughs> I managed to con- convince her to join. And um, But, you know, if people listen to her phone calls, they will learn more, which they do. You know, they'll learn more from listening to one of her phone calls than they will ever from a, from a manager telling them to do something. Can I take this in a slightly different direction, Neil? Because you've mm-hmm. pointed out the value of learning by osmosis and being part of a successful team you will just naturally pick things up. But we're in a situation yeah. now where a lot of people working remotely. I noticed you had low furlough, so I, I'd like to know yeah. how you achieved that. But how has that evolved now if people are not sitting beside each other so that you still have opportunities to learn from your colleagues and your and your manager? Yeah, well, I think um, we've hired you know a number of people this year and they're in the office, right? You know, so okay. we were down to, I think about three people in the office. I mean, we were down to zero for a while. And then, yes. you know, some three or three or four just had family situations where they just basically couldn't work from home. So it came. Okay. But then when we started hiring, you know, the manager and that person, the new person, were in, uh, you know, three days a week for, and it's only this year. So, you know, it's as, as things have loosened that we've been able to achieve that. So you can't be a new recruiter and sit at home. Got it. And, <laughs> yeah, and expect it. Well, maybe you can, but we certainly aren't set up to do that and we would never do that. Uh, but obviously, more experienced people can then, you know, you, you hope you hope that they've got enough experience to, uh, to sort of crack on. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999-2000 when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. I see this as a massive challenge, Neil, because I can see the benefits and the appeal of remote working and my business is completely remote. But if you have the experienced people who are working from home, then the new people, like they might have their manager and the new person there like three days a week or whatever, Mm. but they're not hearing the variety of situations, like just 
maybe someone who's not even in my team, but I can see them involved in some project with a client and I can see how they're orchestrating that. Exactly. Or I can yeah. hear like this business develop this lady who's awesome at business development. She might be on a different team, but I can hear what she's saying on the phone. Mm. That is a loss if we're not able mm. to do that. So what's your philosophy on this? How are you going to be able to organize things going forward? Yeah, good question. Uh, I mean, um, and we've got quite a lot of people working pretty remotely anyway. Yeah. You know, again, experience. You know, in fact, yeah, yeah, we have a lady in France who uh, works with this uh, this lady I was telling you about. Um, mm-hmm. So, and she just learned from her. And so, I don't know. Do the best. Do the best you can, I guess, just uh, to, to help solve that problem. This idea of a weekly report is really useful. And in fact, yeah, as soon as we went into lockdown, we went from being sort of passively encouraging to good news stories. And it's not like, oh, this happened. It's tell us how and why something happened. So actually, thinking about it, I think we probably subconsciously sort of dealt with that as best we could without realizing that that's what we were doing. But uh, we were actually going, well, let's let's just get people sending out stories and messages to keep everyone together. But actually, you're right. We were were, were also – those are mini case studies. Yeah. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. So, so take the time. And, and as I say, that's what I enjoy. That's what I read when people mm. send their weekly report, you know, they'll, they'll, they will go into detail about one particular, not, we, we don't force them to, but often they'll yeah. go into detail about a specific placement they've made. Yeah. I don't know. Here, here's a silly example of stuff evolving, right? So we, our old database had a placement picture attached to your name when you ran a placement. Okay. Great. So you would run yeah. this placement the picture would pop up and the detail of the placement would be on there. Okay. So then uh, we, then we migrated to a new database and that function wasn't there. So we said, Oh, everyone should just, when somebody makes a placement, you tell the business, right? I've placed this person at this company. And, you know, well, anyway, people started adding just, just naturally because we already had, they started adding pictures to these placements. Right. And now the level of creativity that goes onto these, you know, placement pictures when somebody, you know, they've, they're, cropping people's faces onto other pictures and all this <laughs> stuff. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, I, I thought, oh, what a drag. We've, we've lost this function. You know, we've lost the function of having a placement picture. Well, actually, instead of having this same placement picture that keeps, or, or that's a bit of a hassle to change because you have to go into the system and change it or whatever, so people don't change it very often. Now we get, you know, we, we have this explosion of creativity with people sending memes and all this, kind, you know, and as I say, cropping people's faces onto other, like the whole team's faces will go onto a picture of Man United or what, yeah, I mean, all kinds of crazy, totally crazy <laughs> stuff. Uh, often Wait, quite how, close to the bone, to be honest. How but, are these um, distributed? Is it email or is it on Slack? Or no, like, it's just an email. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've okay. tried Slack and we've tried all these other things. And yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we're, our volume is you know, 50 people making two placements a week or whatever, you know, you get a hundred messages a week with the placement picture. It's not the, you know, it's not the volume isn't, isn't a killer. So, so that's Love it. So there's but, so but much yeah, like success happening and, and the opportunity to learn from that. And pe- and if, if, if it's been slightly complicated or something interesting has yeah. happened, then, then they will, they will write, Oh, I'm really pleased with this one because that, right. So, so there's little, there's probably little, as I say, case studies, little, little clues yeah. to success in, in all those stories. To be yeah. Honest. Yeah. So, that's brilliant. Um, well, no, your point about the, the, the distributed networking is, is just there is going to be a loss, right? There's gains and losses. And, yes. and so, so, yeah, you are going you, you to lose some of that osmosis learning that you referred to, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I find that a lot of founder CEOs have certain themes or rants that 
they find themselves saying over and over within the business. What what would you say is one of yours that you're constantly reinforcing a, yeah, a, yeah. a message <laughs> that you think is really important to you for everybody to yeah. I've I've had to stop saying this, although I'll probably say it again at our company do in the end of the year because we've got new people. But people know within 10 seconds, if you see them as a person on the phone, you know, you don't have to be in person with them. Within 10 seconds of a phone call starting, they know if you see them as a person or a pound sign. And that's Mm. that's the number one thing I've said to anyone who cares to listen and, and I've bored them to death and I, I have to stop because <laughs> it. it's, it's a fundamental fact. People know. And as I say, they will still work with you if, if with after those 10 seconds, if they know that you see them as a pound sign, they'll still, they'll still send you their CV because they want to get that yeah. job and they'll still, but they will work with you in a totally different way. And they will not call you back three years later. We've had recommendation, you know, uh, testimonials come in from people we haven't placed. Awesome. You know, actually testimonials on our, you know, people like writing on Google. You guys gave us, gave me a fantastic service. I didn't get the job, but thank you very much. And believe me, you don't get that from people who know that you see them as a pound sign. On that theme, is that just a case of you hiring the right people? Because is that something you can teach or is that something that the person brings from day one? I think it's both. If somebody really brings it, you can't beat it. But if somebody comes in neutral, yeah, then that's a hundred percent company culture. So right. it's more company culture than it is, right? Yes. Because yeah. Yeah. and the thing is, <laughs> this is the this is the crazy paradox is that if they know that's going to make them successful in the long term, and ultimately they're going to be more profitable and more successful, they're going to make more money. You know. But I, I said in a I said in a meeting once with somebody, I said, look. The money, it's not about the money. It has nothing to do with the money, right? And a year later, they brought this up again. They said, oh, well, yeah, I'm worried about your your sort of profit motive motivation. I'm worried about how you're going to look at this project because you said you weren't worried about money. And I was like, man, you did not understand. You, you know, you totally missed that point. You know, you've remembered that for a year. You completely missed that point. If you look, you know, we have a very profitable business. So it's not like I don't care about profit, right? But you can't be thinking about profit in anything you do. Well, not anything. I mean, obviously, you don't spend 20000 on something that's not going to generate you more than 20000 you know, on an ad that's not going to generate you more than 20000 pounds of business, you know, whatever, right? right? So, but yeah, you cannot be dealing with clients and customers and seeing them in any way as, oh, this customer is going to give me X or Y or Z. And yes. Then again, of course, you prioritize them. You say, we're going to be more successful at that company. Why? Because they have a better process, because we have manager access, whatever, right? So you make those decisions, but you can never put, you know, I'm going to do this to make money. So a great example, worst mistake we ever made. We had a hole. We had a market that we knew would, would be really lucrative, really good to get into. We identified a guy who had experience in that market, and we kind of knew from day one that he wasn't quite the cultural fit. He came in with a sort of a money mindset. We never would have been able to get that out of them in a million years of a million months of Sundays. That was by far the worst hire we ever made. We thought, oh, this person will come in, they will fill a spot and they can sit in the corner and, and just crack on. Well, I mean, within the first day, he was upsetting people. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and again, here's the paradox, right? If we thought, oh, this person's going to be great, they're going to be the perfect cultural fit. If they 
upset somebody on the first day, we would have been really shocked and been worried about it, right? And probably done something about it because we kind of knew already that, oh, well, we know that person's going to be a bit of a maverick, you know, sit him in the corner. When he upset somebody, it was like, oh, well, we kind of knew that was going to happen. So then you kind of let it go for a while because you think, oh, well, we, you know, you know, just massive mistake, huge, huge disruption for the, for the few months he was with us. And, you know, we, we learned a massive lesson. Never, ever do that again. When did you know that you had to pull the plug on that? Like, what was the final? It was after uh, maybe, yeah, it's sort of, yeah, second, probably second company do that he, we do a company do every six months. Some okay. kind of, you know, go out, take everybody out, go stay overnight somewhere, have a some kind of either pure celebration or we do a sales talk. And then so, you know, when he when when he was a bit disrupted the first time around, you could put it down to the alcohol, you know, him getting having too much to drink and sort of sitting him down. And he goes, yeah, 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 I won't do it again. When they do it again, when he did it again, <laughs> it was like, OK, well, you clearly that was probably the nail in the coffin. But there it was it was. Uh, and if, and yeah. so. What change did you make to prevent that from happening again? <laughs> the three of us uh, said, man, well, we, we know why we did it. You just rec- you just hopefully recognize the signs, right? And then when, you know, make sure your management team knows that as well. I mean, we, you know, obviously there's, there's, three, there's three, you know, directors and then the management team. So right, we need so, to but, make sure that that wisdom yeah. trickles down so that they yeah. – the lesson it's almost like they're already inoculated they've got yeah herd immunity even though you're the one that got the virus yeah but but it goes back to your point about the longevity of managers because mm. virtually everybody who's a manager experienced that guy okay so they'll, right so they'll, so they'll know <laughs> so uh so uh, fair enough how else do you transmit culture in your business and make sure that these principles are People are indoctrinated and, and that that culture is very vibrant. You make sure that if there's a little thing, you still, de- you still have a look at it, deal with it. Right? So, for example, like I said, okay, uh, I'm really, really hot on quality of emails, quality of communication. Written communication is how a huge proportion of our communication happens as recruiters yes. and is more powerful than a phone call in a way in terms of supporting your brand Again, that's not really a word I like. I don't I'd be supporting your, your company identity. So if you're writing poor emails constantly, you know, you're not creating the right impression. So, so I do not sit on some kind of system that downloads every email to me. But if I see something, I'll just mm-hmm. pick up the phone right then and there and just call that person and say, Oh, by the way, did you know that, you know, it, it, you wrote a, you know, a six line sentence with no punctuation, you know, with, with a bunch of commas. <laughs> Here, here's an example of how that might look better. If you, if you just literally threw a couple of full stops in and a couple of hard returns, then it goes from a chunk of data, almost like a chunk of data to something you've clearly thought about and structured. Tiny change, but actually it makes quite a big difference on the impact on the person. That, that's a, kind of a silly example, but, it, but it's just, if you see a small thing, don't go, oh, that's a small thing. I'm, you know, uh, I'm going to leave. I, you know, you just pick any, don't, don't, and I don't do it every time, but I, you know, if it just happens that I see something, I do it. Right. So then somebody who's just joined the company, somebody who joined the company a week ago knows that I'm interested in what they're doing and just taking an interest. So that's one way of just getting passed down through the company. And um, yeah, I think things like KPIs is huge, right? Just giving yeah. people that responsibility. I think massive thing is, 
and this is the hardest thing, um, is supporting people, taking their issues, problems, failures, etc. At you know, rather than than taking them as some kind of personal affront to the business or the fact that oh, you haven't hit your target, you know, you you haven't hit your target for two core, you know, this is you know uh, what a disaster. You know, it's like asking the question why rather than dealing with the cause rather than the symptom. You know, and if if you deal with, with people like that, you will get um, a lo- you know, long term return. How do you do that specifically? So you said supporting people who may be having challenges or, or difficulties, and maybe they're personal, but maybe they're professional. How do you support people in order to get them back on track? Or, and, and how do you know when the right thing to do is to stick with them and support them and when probably they're not going to, they're not going to yeah. make it and you should help them to find something else? Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. How do you do that? It's, uh, it's, if, it, it, the only answer to that to me is is be 60-40 on the side of forgiveness or giving the person a break or whatever it is. That's point one. Point two is understand the fundamental motivations. We've had people who we've had to ask to leave because we didn't feel they were motivated enough. Mm-hmm. They're not in, you know, um, you said the right things but didn't do them. So that's a massive one, right? If people say the right things and then they just consistently don't follow up on them, then in a way it's not, then that t- takes the emotion out of it if you can take the emotion out of it and just go you're not a bad person but look to do this job these are the th- three or four fundamental things you just have to do yeah you've agreed you know we've talked to you you've actually agreed you understand mm. you know that that's the, that's the difference right is yeah. can you make do people understand what's going are you telling them what to do and what's going on mm-hmm. or do they understand what they need to do mm-hmm. and what's going on if they understand it if they're then not doing it, then it's not a difficult conversation to say, actually, hey, this isn't working out, right? Yes. It's just, this is just not your thing. But if you sort of hit first, you know, and there have been a couple of instances where just from an absolute gut feel of this person's heart is in the right place. There are a couple of people in this, in our company who I'm pretty sure would not be in, I know would not be in a heck of a lot of those 30,000 companies you mentioned, right? Because they would have been asked to leave or they would have left because the fundamental issues, uh, you know, the, the fundamental problem would have been dealt with in a very different way. So, um, mm-hmm. and then we have a couple of people who we regret giving too many chances to over, over, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, at some point you go, Hmm, you hopefully learn. Okay. Yeah. We gave that for, you know, you learn the pattern. And so then hopefully you um, just get more realistic about, you, you know, know, this is the dilemma, isn't it? Facing leaders is, which are you going to regret more? Are you going to regret saying goodbye to somebody who maybe could have made it if, you know, you've been able to support them in the right way? Or are you going to regret more giving people more chances than ultimately they probably, mm-hmm. you know, merited based on the effort and the motivation they were showing and it ended up costing you? Either way, it costs you, right? But which mm-hmm. one do mm-hmm. you feel like you would err on the side of? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I would, as I said, sixty forty in the on, on the yeah. side of, of of give the person that, uh, but but you know that that's that's qualified by you know ninety ten, if you really believe their heart's in the right place, as I say, right, you know, right, um, ten ninety if you think they're paying lip service and and actually just aren't buying into the values, and you know there are people who will do well in other places. KPIs is a great example. There are people who need to be washed, like you know, like really, really told you have to do this. Every day, you know, so, mm. um, 
great. That's that's going to work in certain environments. It's not going to work mm-hmm. in ours. So. I feel like there's so many layers that we've not even delved into. Like you've opened offices in China. That's a whole story in itself. You've got so many interesting things we could talk about, but we're out of time for today. So I yeah. I hope that we'll be able to do this again sometime. And sure. uh, I've really appreciated your insight and you know depth of, of knowledge and being willing to share that with our community. So thanks so much, Neil. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. You're extremely good at this, by the way. I, I think you've done this before. So I've done it. <laughs> I know a few you've times, done this before. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But thank you for thank you for yeah. that, and I'm, yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, awesome. Right. Let's do it again. Thanks, Neil. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Resilient Recruiter. Be sure to check out the full show notes at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash podcast. And please consider subscribing so that you receive every new episode directly to your phone. Thanks for listening and see you next time.